0: Welcome to the Garden Church podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long right, Matthew Beach, chapter 14, verse 22. Let's read this, this story together. It says this, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were, with, uh, who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you Are the Son of God. Lord Jesus, we welcome you here today. We invite your Spirit right now to speak to us through your scripture. We open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you that we would experience your presence right now. That we would welcome the truth that you have for us as a community and the truth that you have for us as individuals. I pray for those that are already guarded by being here this morning, you would soften their hearts. That you would plant seeds of grace and love and truth in their lives. And Jesus, that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us, God. Pray that the word would be there and we would receive it in your name. Amen. Okay, so I wanted to talk about this story um, because. We set out uh, as a vision to see in Long Beach as it is in heaven. Our mission is to reveal Jesus. Everything we do is designed to reveal him, reveal him. We wanna restore lives, make disciples and renew cities. This is what the garden is about. And what we decided is this, after five years of doing this, what we're shooting for is to become a vibrant, large church planning church. I gotta read it. With thousands of leaders trained, And we want to see a radical increase in people serving and giving their lives away. That's the goal. That over the next five years, we become a large church planning church. That we become about the next generation of church that has nothing to do with us. The most effective way to evangelize cities and new communities is through church planning. We want to see lost, saved, and found in Christ. So we have to... We have to prepare ourselves to give ourselves away and plant churches. Are you with me? We want to see leaders released into every domain of society. Every sphere of influence. We want to see church people, people that are passionate followers of Jesus released into those places as missionaries. That's what we were doing today, why you stood. That's what I'm trying to see grow in our church. That you would see that the goal isn't to be really good at church. The goal is to transform the community you're in, the work environment you're a part of, to bring life wherever you go. And we want to increase the number of people serving and giving their lives away. Financially, yeah, give your lives lives away financially. But it's about every aspect of living out a generous life for the sake of others. We want to see the city transformed because we're here. I want the city to say, you can't close your doors as a church. You're doing too much for us. It's too good. Stay open. That's what I want to see. That's always been the test for us as a church. That's what we're calling us into. And so this morning, I found this particular passage helpful because when I look at what we're trying to do, I realize it's impossible. And so this morning, I want to call us to do the impossible together. So this is about doing the impossible. Are you with me? Are you with me? Yes. I'm not a motivational speaker, although I want to be. I want some hallelujahs. I can't wait to go back to India just for the hallelujahs. I can literally, I literally will whisper, hallelujah. And it's like, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's amazing. The power of hallelujah there. They get. It's all about Jesus and God. So uh, Jesus gets into the, uh, he, Jesus uh, dismisses the crowd and he tells his disciples to go to the other side. I want to talk about the other side real quick because we have to understand context. First century Jewish men, disciples who were fishermen, tax collectors, all sorts of things, they get into a boat because Jesus tells them to get to the other side. What was the other side for them? Now, 2,000 years ago, every good Jewish boy and girl knew that the other side is where you're not supposed to go. The other side to them represented Gentiles. They represented those that were not part of the covenant with God. They were unclean and defiled. They worshiped other gods and they had pagan practices. They were idolaters. They practiced all sorts of behaviors that you wouldn't want to associate yourself with. They were the immoral types of people. They also were unclean, meaning they, they touched uh, animals that they weren't allowed to touch, like pigs. so that's the other side to them. And also, let's just talk about this in their first century worldview, and their Jewish worldview, they believed that the water represented chaos that God had dominion and rule over that geographic location, but there were other deities, other powers, evil spirits, that had power over the lakes and seas. And so when they venture into that, that environment, they're entering into a different God's domain. This is their first century mindset, different God's power. So other side represents a risk. It represents a place of fear. The water represents fear. It represents being out, outside of God's authority and power for them. Okay, just stay with me because this is the mindset. I'm just trying to let you see the story from a different perspective. Uh, the other side represents uh, the the discomfort. It represents the unwanted places. It represents the outcasts, the people you're not supposed to associate with. That's one aspect. The water represents chaos. It represents risk. It represents being outside of God's authority. But also, this story is very familiar, isn't it? A couple chapters earlier in the book of Matthew, also found in the book of Mark, also found in the book of Luke. These are all books of the Bible. Um, you see this story um, of, of Jesus actually in his boat telling his disciples to cross to the other side. And this story happened earlier. What happened on that journey? Do you remember? Can you take a guess? What happened? Storm, good job. So they were met with a storm. An aha, their assumptions are correct, right? All of a sudden they go off to the other side, which a good fisherman in the first century wouldn't do. A fisherman would go around the lake. You would stay as as far as the eye could see. You would stay close to shore because most couldn't swim. You would never cross over the lake and you would never go to the other side for the Gentiles. You would never do it during nighttime. You would never in a million years go out at night to cross over the sea. The story that happened a few chapters earlier, they're in the boat, and sure enough, they're met with a storm. And in Mark's gospel, the way Mark writes the story is they're met with a demon. And stay with me for a second. This is just a fun side note, because the language is the same form as when Jesus cast out demons from people. In other ways, in the story of Mark, when they're met with this giant storm and Jesus, what does he do? He rebukes the storm and it becomes still and the disciples say, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey? They don't know who he is, but he calms down the powers of the watery chaos. Are you with me? That was the old story where they nearly died and Jesus was in the boat. Now, They're going across the other side, which represents all sorts of stuff, and this time Jesus isn't in the boat, and what do we read? They're getting battered by a storm. The winds are literally working against them, is what it says, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. The image we have is a bunch of disciples rowing against the wind halfway across the lake at night in the middle of the night. Jesus is all by himself alone, praying, doing his own thing, and these disciples are exhausted and tired, and they find a storm. Have you ever experienced that type of illustration in your life? Have you ever seen that picture? Have you ever been caught up in a storm where you're alone wondering, Jesus, where the hell are you? Have you ever been doing something you thought Jesus told you to do, he asked you to do, and you're met with loneliness, despair, You thought it was going to bring all this success, all this financial freedom, and yet you're wondering if you heard God's voice right and you're just finding yourself exhausted by the midnight hour and the wind's working against you. Have you ever been there? That's what I thought. So the story is what every disciple has experienced at some point in their life. The story is a bunch of disciples choosing to do what's hard, choosing to do what's unfamiliar, choosing to go where they don't want to go and being met with all sorts of opposition and frustration and disappointment. So that's the other side to the disciples. I just want to ask you, what's your other side? What's your other side? When Jesus speaks to you, does he ever ask you to do do things that takes courage? That when he says it, your first thing is to question, to hesitate, to doubt you should even do it because it doesn't make sense to your comfortable, familiar lifestyle. Who are the people in your life that are on the other side? The same kinds of people that your mom and dad told you you should never go and hang out with them, right? (laughs) Why don't you write that down? Because maybe some of you, that's all you need to hear today. Oh, I just want to do this quick side note. I love this story. So, so Jesus tells the disciples to go to the other side. And then it says, after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. He went up on the mountainside to pray. I just want to make a quick note about Jesus. I, I really love Jesus. And I'm, I'm going to do a series. I'm just going to let you guys know. I didn't tell the first service. I'm, I was going to start the series, Daniel, uh, next week. I've, I've been studying Daniel for a year. I'm so excited to teach this book. I've been I've been passionate about Daniel, and when we started this series, I realized I'm not supposed to talk about Daniel yet, and I, I have all these voices in my head. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who said that? Yeah. thank you so much. Come back, I love it. So I, I have these debates, and maybe you can relate. And this is my story. I'm a young. I, when we started this church, it was like eight years ago when I was like called to do this, and I didn't really have a senior pastor over me for that much of my life. So I had to figure out how to do this thing called church. And I always, I get advice and all that stuff. But for some reason, I created these rules about what it means to lead this church that aren't necessarily anywhere in the Bible or even helpful. And it's even hard for me to break these rules that I've adopted. Like I have to follow through with Daniel. I've been doing all this stuff. And Jesus just spoke to me a few weeks ago and just said, "Um, why don't you teach them what you're most passionate about? because what I'm most passionate about is introducing people to the real Jesus. I'm most passionate about people that have been de-churched or not church really meeting Jesus of the scriptures and the Jesus who's real and looks far different than the church. And that's what I wanna talk about. So I'm gonna talk about that for a while. Um, over the next several months, probably. Bill and I got excited. So all that to say, that's happening. But here's what I was gonna highlight for a quick point. It says that Jesus prays. I believe that Jesus teaches us how to be a full human. He is the ultimate model for how to live our lives. Here's what happened to Jesus. And I just wanna point this out because it's absolutely amazing. What happens before he goes onto the mountaintop to pray is his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. The only other human on the planet that understood who he was and what he was doing died. Do you think that would bring all sorts of grief? Yes. All sorts of pain. So he tries, it says in Matthew, to go alone, to get away. But as he's doing that, crowds come. And, and if he, he was like a pastor today, he would say, it's my Sabbath. I don't hang out with you people right now. Don't, <laughs> don't send me emails. Forgive me. Um, and... <laughs> I'm not Jesus. So anyways, uh, (laughs) but it says that Jesus had compassion. So he ministered to them for days. And then instead of sending them off to get food, he feeds them 5,000. He feeds the 5,000 right after. So he's grieving loss. He's dealing with pain. He's ministering from a place of compassion, exhausted from ministry. In John's gospel, it says after the 5,000 are fed, they want to make him king. They want Jesus to be their king. And so Jesus goes away, hides basically. What does Jesus do? Jesus, after pain and crisis, Jesus, after success of ministry and mountaintop highs, goes away to be alone with God the Father, to allow his life to be defined by what the Father says, not by what the crisis says, not by what success says, Jesus was a man of prayer. Does that teach? What do you do when crisis comes? If you're like me, you tell every single person about it for prayer before you withdraw and cultivate that intimate space with the Father who's speaking to you, ministering to you, not trying to solve your crisis or problem, but to be with you. You with me? So that's just a side note. That was free. Um, Oh, you already passed the bucket, so it's not free. Um, I'm just kidding. Also, I'm just kidding. We do pay Pete every week, even when he doesn't pass the bucket. Some of you are concerned. Pete's getting a paycheck. We just cut it down just a little bit. That's all. It says, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Violent waves against the boat in the middle of the night. Winds are violently opposing their direction and Jesus is nowhere to be found. This is the image uh, that we find our disciples. And then this is what it says. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake, okay? When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. So here's the story. Jesus, right before dawn, which would have been 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., the fourth watch of the night, begins to walk out to them in the moment of crisis in the moment of suffering, in the moment of despair, in the moment of absence, Jesus shows up not to solve the problem, but to bring his presence to them. Are you with me? Have you ever been waiting for God to show up? and It's literally the last freaking second. Can you relate to this? Yes. You're like, there's no way. It's gotta happen now. And then it goes on a little bit further. I don't know how I'm gonna pay. It's the day it's due. And then it shows up. It's like, of course it's the last watch. Well, that's what Jesus did here. It's a sick joke. (laughs) So if you're ever frustrated about God's timing, so were the disciples. You're in good company. (laughs) And then Jesus walks on water, which... In this point, I just want to make this. this is so beautiful. The language here is so beautiful in the Greek, and all the illusions that M- Matthew is pulling together to make a statement. So Jesus walks on water. Jesus Matthew's saying he's the new Adam. Remember the first Adam who was designed to live in perfect harmony with God and creation and Eve? Um, he blew it because he chose to sin. Well, Jesus comes to restore creation once and for all to, to be lived in a proper way, restored and renewed by God so that we live in perfect harmony with ourselves, with God, with each other, and all of creation. Well, Jesus is just doing what Adam had the authority and dominion to do. Do you know this? He had power to speak to winds and waves and for them to be stilled and calmed. We've been given dominion over creation, but we've handed our dominion to the evil one. And all Jesus is doing is operating in the authority that he has. And what he does here is absolutely amazing. He says, as every time, every time God shows up to his people, every time in the Old Testament, God reveals himself to someone in the, in the Old Testament or New Testament. In fact, it happens 365 times in the Bible. When God shows up, he says, don't be afraid. Now, listen to this for a second and pay attention because, for some of you, this is all you need to hear today. And I give you permission to check out after this. 365 times in the Bible, God says to people, don't be afraid. For those of you struggling with anxiety, those of you struggling with insecurity, which is a form of fear and pride, an inaccurate view of what Jesus said, an inaccurate view of self. Those of you that live your life based on the what ifs that could go wrong, God says to you every single day of the year, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Is that good news? The Jesus that I grew up listening to caused me to fear when I, whether or not I was going to be raptured out of here. The Jesus, the real Jesus of the scripture comes alongside us, comes to our storms, not to solve the crisis, but to bring his presence. And when his presence is here, there's no need for fear because in the presence of Jesus, there's perfect love and perfect love casts out fear. So he says, take courage. And then he says, it is I. So if you're checking out the church and one of your grudges in the church is that Jesus never claims to be God, here's a passage that would would argue against that. You ready for this? It is I in Greek is the Old Testament phrase for when God chooses to reveal his name, Yahweh, I am who I am. In this moment, as Jesus walks on water, says, take courage, I am who I am, the disciples are probably freaking out at that moment. God is in Jesus. Jesus is God. There is this defining character in this, or defining moment for scripture where Jesus begins to show that he and God are one and the same. And he says, do not be afraid. And this, this, that's a great story. So if you're struggling with fear, freedom to you. We're gonna pray for a breakthrough this morning for you. But the story goes on, and I love this part. This is my favorite part of the story. You ready for this? Lord, if it's you, Peter said, tell me to come onto the water to you. Tell me to come to you on the water is what he says. And Jesus says, come. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on water and came towards Jesus. Don't you love this guy? Don't like, hey, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. Just tell me to get up my feet wet. You know, it's like let me just let me just dangle my toes over the thing. If it's you, tell me to come now. If is not questioning whether or not it's Jesus. That's bad language in our English. In Greek, it's it means since it's you, or because it's you, which is, implies it is you. There must be a response because it's you. I have to act, and this is what Peter does: is he chooses to move forward and and notice that that Peter asks permission to do what Jesus is doing. This is the type of shameless audacity we need as disciples of Jesus. What Peter thinks is if Jesus can do it, I can do it. That's amazing. How many of you have not only been called, you have a specific direction that God has for you, he has given you permission, but you haven't been obedient to get out of the boat. How many of you have been trying to get out of the boat, but you haven't asked for permission yet? We make all sorts of decisions in our lives, and we haven't allowed God to direct us in our decision. Do you immediately move off of the best chance, the best opportunity, or do you come back into that solitary place and say, God, what would you have me do? I desire to to change careers. I desire to take a risk and go this way, but I'm gonna wait for your permission. He's teaching us how to be a disciple. Because I believe to be a disciple is not only to become like Jesus, but it is to do what Jesus did. And Peter has the right idea here. But only with the permission does he have the resources to do what is impossible. Peter walked on water. Peter does the impossible. And all the other disciples stay in the boat. Peter does what is unfamiliar. Peter does what is unnatural. Peter does what is certainly uh, something that he certainly has never done before, and it required faith. Faith is stepping outside of the boat. Faith is standing on the water. Faith is risk. You with me? Faith is being willing to, to swim or sink because Jesus called you forward. That's faith. And for Peter, for those few short steps, he was the only disciple to do what Jesus was doing and walked on water. That's courageous. That's doing the impossible, doing what was unnatural. And if you follow Jesus and if he calls you, it won't be easy, it won't be natural, it won't be comfortable. Because Jesus always, um, in our discipleship, in order for us to grow as people, you need, to, you need to disturb your reality, right? So as Jesus, if you watch him, he'll, he'll constantly cause the disciples to wrestle with who he is. He, he preaches these amazing sermons. He's got this crowd going on, and he's like, whoever doesn't eat my, my body and drink my, my blood won't have a part of me. And everyone's like, what? And the crowds leave. And the disciples are like, no, no, we come back. Like they, we're defining our ministry by the numbers. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I want true followers. He's constantly disturbing them. Hey, you go out and heal the sick and cast out demons and preach the gospel. A few chapters in and they do it and they're like, oh my gosh, they did it. And he's like, yeah, that's what I told you to do. Faith is stepping into those uncomfortable situations and watching God show up. Don't just pray, God, give me faith. No, oh God, just give me courage. Act courageously and watch God meet you on the way. I'll never forget, there was a defining moment. I was having a panic attack. Uh, This is five and a half years, five, right when we started our church, preaching to a basement full of 12 people in the garden. And I was having a panic attack. I was laying on my floor in our one-bedroom apartment. Alex is freaking out. She's like, why do we do this? You're, ter- you're freaking out. You shouldn't be doing this. It was two hours before I had to preach a sermon. And I hated preaching. I thought, I'm not a good preacher. I'm too insecure. I'm too inadequate. I'm not smart enough. I'm too young. Everything was working against me. I was terrified. I would show up. I would mumble over my words. I'd stumble. I'd do a 10-minute sermon. I'd talk faster than I am now believe it or not and and there I was having a panic attack and my wife just said something absolutely profound she said Darren the greatest thing for you is you know where you're called because your fear is leading you she's like just follow your fear and you'll be okay and I'll never forget it and I did I did for some of you it's the same thing your greatest fear is the, the, the the bullseye for obedience in your life Follow it through and watch God show up. All right, I'm, I'm almost done. Peter didn't have the resources to do what he was doing. He didn't have the experience, the education. He didn't have the power to actually walk on water, but he does it. How many of us feel like that right now? All right, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he, uh, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why d- did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. So Peter's standing on the water and it says that he sees the wind or the effects of the wind, the waves. And he begins to sink, cries out to God and, or Jesus and Jesus pulls him up and saves him. Why did he doubt? Why did Peter doubt? Focus on the wrong thing. You see, I think he doubt, doubted because he had never walked on water before. He was a fisherman. He was really comfortable in the boat. He knew his limitations. I can't really walk on water. I know that. He was full of fear, maybe, but I think the key is that he focused on the circumstances in front of him. He focused on the conditions of the wind and the waves, and he lost focus on Jesus. And when you, lo- when you focus on the circumstances, when you focus on the conditions, and when you lose sight of Jesus, you lose focus and you lose your purpose. What was Peter's purpose? To go to Jesus. And somehow, in the midst of the waves and the winds, he had lost track of Jesus. And he began to see the conditions. And that brought fear, frustration, and doubt into his life. And Peter's purpose was simply to be in the presence of Jesus and act in obedience until he got to Jesus. And when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we lose focus. We lose our purpose. And our purpose is required for us if we want to do the impossible. If you want to see God do extraordinary things in your life, you have to remain focused and keep your head lifted to Jesus, even when you're overwhelmed by the circumstances and the conditions that are in front of you. Even when you're insecure and you feel inadequate, you don't feel like you have enough. You've never done this before. This is unfamiliar territory. Even in those moments, fix your eyes on Jesus and remain faithful to the end and watch him, watch him do amazing things through you. I love this quote. Somebody shared this, and I—I I, I don't know who, who quote, where it's from, but it says, "Oftentimes we talk to God about the mountains in our lives, rather than speaking to the mountains about our God. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, we can step out of the boat and do the impossible. And I don't know what the impossible is for you. You're the only one that knows. Faith, then." is not passive. Faith is not an intellectual acknowledgement of some facts about something or someone. Faith is active. Faith is standing in the reality of what is true. Faith is stepping outside of the boat. Faith is walking in what you know to be real. And faith is getting out of the boat simply because Jesus told you. And faith is swimming even when you sink because you're called to get to Jesus at the other end. That's faith. And when you have that in your life, anything is possible. What keeps you from it? I'm going to give you some thoughts. Your fears. Your fear is going to keep you from living a life of abundance in Christ, of faith. It's going to keep you from obedience. And fear shows up in all sorts of ways. You're overwhelmed, you become terrified by the circumstances and all those things, but also fear internally, insecurity. I think this is our problem. We don't see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. We look at the conditions and we say this is impossible. And Jesus is saying to you, no, 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 it's possible. With me, all things are possible. In fact, he wants to make you possibility people so that when you walk into the situation, you go, okay, Jesus, I'm just gonna keep my eye on you. You figure this out for me one step at a time. The other thing is familiarity. What will keep you from living a life of faith is becoming comfortable in the boat. What was hard and scary and risky for you yesterday is not going to be the same today. So maybe you've conquered that fear. Maybe you're not afraid of speaking in public anymore. But what's the next step? What's the next journey? Because it's only going to get better. Jesus insists on on your greatness. He insists on your capacity. He, ins- he says greater things you will do than me. You can move mountains. You can walk on water. He believes in you, but you doubt what he says about you. So challenge those fears. Challenge those insecurities. Challenge the familiarity. Step out of the boat, and let's do the impossible. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about The Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.